When I was growing up, I grew up right across the street from St. Mary's on the north side of Raceland. Um, whenever we were kids, uh, I would, it was a normal thing to go over to St. Mary's because they had all that space, all those streets. Um, it was the perfect place to go ride a bike and get in trouble. Um, so that's what we did. I would go across, ride a bike, and get in trouble. Um, one of the things that they have around St. Mary's that is very, very, it, it's stunning when the first time you see it, but it kind of just becomes a, a part of the scenery after a while, um, is the graveyard. Graveyard is massive. So I, I remember um, one of the days riding my bike and then all of a sudden coming around and seeing there's a sign on the outside of the cemetery that says no bikes, no skateboards, no this, no that, the hours of being able to go in and all these other things. And I just ignored it. I remember I'd go ride my bike. I used to pretend that I was on like these like on like these peace trips where I would go and like fix all the flowers. But I'd fix like two and then just use the stairs for jumping and things like that. Monsignor Lede, who was in the in the rectory, would come out, beat red and mad, tell me to get out of here. All right, and there goes that little Mathern boy. Never would have thought that I was going to be the priest, right? The other thing I would do is uh, I, I went to St. Mary's School, and because I was like, man, I, could, I, I, I can go around the school, but I could brag tomorrow when I go to school if I go ride my bike in and out by the classrooms and stuff like that. There was one area, though, that I knew not to go ride my bike because I was a little bit afraid of it. St. Mary's, whenever you would look at this church from the road, so if you're looking at St. Mary's, just to the right of the church... There was a little blue house. And in that little blue house, there was an old priest that lived there. Father Stanislaus Menikowski. With a name like Stanislaus Menikowski, he scared the heck out of me. On Sunday, he would give the same homily, and I only knew it was the same homily because I could kind of make out through the Polish accent what the words were. Love your mother, love your sister, love your daddy. On his way out of church, from the, from, until the day he died, on his way out of church, he would make his way down the aisle, but he would make sure to veer to the right and veer to the left, ha shaking hands of all the kids and everybody that wanted to. I remember this guy, like, it was, like I was young when he was around, but there was something about him that just stuck out, that he understood what love meant. He understood something deeper. He had a wisdom that was deeper than something that was just of this world or of this area. And I was shocked to find out later on in life that he had done time in a concentration camp during World War II. There was an article that was in the Bayou Catholic a few years, about maybe 15, 20 years ago, and it was an interview with Monsignor Menikowski. And he talked about in detail what his time in Dachau was. Dachau was the place in the... In, in, the, Jew, in the, um, the Nazi Reich, that they would take priests, and that's where they kind of put them. As the Nazi occupation worked its way into Poland, the Polish priests were being, ex were being arrested and sent off to Dachau, and they were put in this one set of barracks together. About a thousand priests in one building. The story, the, the, the story, the testimony that Menikowski gave was about all of just how he was arrested, how he was put into a, a rail car with 200 other people and a small piece of bread. And that's all they got 
for, th for a three-day journey into Dachau. I, I don't know about you, but I eat more than a piece of bread for one meal. Then once he got there, he was stripped of everything. They had numbers tattooed on their, on their ankles and on their, on their forearms to identify them. They were brought to their luxurious barracks of people sleeping on top of each other. They were fed the gourmet meals of cabbage or turnip soup, depending on the time of the year. Maybe you get a little bit of liver sausage, but that was about it. And they were, had back-breaking works. Experimentation, medical experimentation done to them because they were seen as nothing more than cattle and animals. 1940, he was arrested. 1944, after four years of this grueling, just the, the grueling conditions of Dachau, the German commander of Dachau brought the prisoners out and one by one asked them if they wanted to be German citizens, that all of this could stop. They were asked one question. Do you pledge allegiance to Germany? And all they had to do was say two words. Hail Hitler. 1944. Four years. The background of all of this stuff, all of this to torment, all of this hurt, all of this struggle that led up to this moment, and it could all be done if you just say those two words. Manikowski, in his interview, says... God had carried me that far. So I said no. He trusted that God was going to continue to carry him, and a year later, the concentration camp was liberated. He found his way to Bayou Blue, became a pastor, and ultimately found his way across the street from my house as a kid. Now, why do I look at somebody like this? Why do I look at somebody that lived this kind of hard, grueling life these five years, and why do I lift that up today, especially in relation to our readings? Because I think when we look at this kind of story, when we look at stories especially that came out of something so evil and so hard as the Holocaust, there are two questions that people, hold, that people that held on to hope during this time, I think, remembered the answer to two questions, or two images, or two statements. I think they understood and remembered something that carried them through all of the torment and hardship. The first, God is who He says He is. The second, I belong to that God. God is who He says He is, and I belong to that God. That's how the Jewish people, that's how the Catholics, that's how all the people that made their way, they held on to hope because they held on to those two things, Manikowski included, that God is who He says He is, and that I belong to that God. And our readings break open those two statements today. And if we, don't, if, we, if we read it without understanding its context, if we read it without understanding the, the background that, that both Isaiah and Jesus are speaking to, we could miss that those, these are the two things that are being said to us today. That God is who He says He is, 
and I belong to that God. Let's look at the first reading. The first reading, at the very beginning, we hear, King Cyrus, my anointed. Now, I don't know if you realize, those four words to a Jewish ear would have blown people's minds. King Cyrus, my anointed. A little bit of background. The Jewish people are promised the promised land. We have the Exodus. Moses brings all of the Jewish people. He brings them to the doorstep. They cross into the promised land after Moses dies. They establish the temple. They have their worship. They have their particular way that God has asked them to come and give Him praise. And what happens is is they're sticking really, really tightly and really, really strongly and orthodoxly orthodoxly to all of the rules that they have in the Old Testament. And then sooner or later, they start to get a little bit lax. They start to be taken a little bit easy. They don't put so much pressure on the the tithing or giving God first fruits or, or some of these big principles of their worship. And ultimately, God says what's going to end up happening, you're compromising, and the, some, some pagan people in the world are going to come and take over this land that you've been promised. They're going to take the inheritance that I gave you, and they're going to destroy the temple. And it ends up happening. The Babylonians come in, and they destroy the temple. They kick all of the Jewish people out. After generations have had this land that was promised to them by God, they're then sent out. And they live in exile for generations on generations. They live in exile just recognizing and lamenting the fact that we can't worship God in the place that we've been promised. Until King Cyrus who was the king of the Persian land where they were in exile. For Isaiah to say in the reading today that King Siah is my anointed on behalf of God, for Isaiah to use that phrase, the anointed, the word anointed, the anointed one was the Messiah. And he's saying that a pagan king is going to be the Messiah for my people. The pagan king is going to come and reestablish my people. A Jewish person in in that Old Testament time would have been floored to think that a pagan could be used in God's hand to reestablish His people in Jerusalem. But it's what happens. Now how does that have to do with God is who He says He is? Do we believe, do the, did the Jewish people believe that a pagan king could do this? No. But I think it's because they lost sight of, they didn't realize the God who was really in charge of it all. That God can draw straight with the crooked line. That even though Judas messes up big time on Good Friday, Even though Judas betrays the Son of Man, God pulls out something beautiful on the cross. And the resurrection still happens. Even though the soldiers are are complacent with what's happening to Jesus Christ, even though they're the ones going out and arresting someone unjustly who has done nothing, God still works. And something major happens on the cross. Even though Pilate tries to wash his hands of things and ultimately condemns Jesus, God still can work even in the brokenness of humanity. 
If God is who He says He is, God can work despite our sin, despite our struggle and despite our evil that we, we commit. God can still work in the rough, the rough place that we find our culture. Like, do we believe that God is who He says He is? Do we believe that God is who He actually says He is? That He is the sovereign Lord of everything in the world and in the universe? And that His plan will come to fruition? Not might, not could, but will come to fruition. Despite the ways that we might stand in the way of it. To get, re- to get real for a second with that, do you believe that God is the sovereign of the world? Do you believe that God is who He says He is? Okay, the phrase that gets said right now and has been said every four years for the last 20 years is that this is the most important election of our time. Absolutely vote. Absolutely be educated on the thing. But if your candidate doesn't win, do you still believe that God is who He says He is? If Joe Biden wins, is God still who he says he is? If Donald Trump wins, is God still who he says he is? The second thing that I think we held on to, that held on to and carried somebody like a Manikowski through, is that we belong to that God. That you and I belong to that God. And this is where our Gospel comes in today. Because at the end of the Gospel, Jesus goes through this whole talk about taxes. He goes through this whole thing about arguing with the Herodians and the Pharisees who are actually arch enemies, but they're trying to to really catch Jesus. So they're going to unify even though they hate each other. It's like an Alabama and an LSU fan working together. They're going to try and catch Jesus. They give this loaded question of is it, is it okay for a Jew to pay the temple tax? If you look at the Jew paying the temple tax, or paying a tax to Caesar, I'm sorry, wrong tax. If he has to pay this tax to Caesar, he has to use the money of the Roman Empire. Caesar was seen as a deity. Caesar was seen as a god, small g. So if a Jew has to pay this, then they're saying that they have to give in to idolatry. So if Jesus says yes, He's saying Jews, you have to give in to idolatry. And the Pharisees will arrest them. But if He says no, you don't, then He's going against the civil authority. And the Herodians will have His head. So Jesus, the statement that He says, I think, though, elicits something so much deeper about us belonging to God. He says, let me see a coin. That's Caesar's face? Give it to Caesar. But give to God what is God's. That coin holds the image of Caesar on it. So give it to Caesar. But give to God what is God's. Again, a good Jew would have heard that. That word image especially. And they would have thought back to Genesis. They would have thought back to the creation of the world. They would have thought back to when human beings, you and I, were made. And that when God created us, He created us in His image and likeness. 
So if, you look, if the coin looks like and shows off Caesar, give it to Caesar. But we as human beings have God imprinted upon us that we carry His image with us. And we belong first and foremost to God. So rend unto Caesar what is Caesar's, a useless coin, but render yourself to God. Do we believe these two statements? Do we believe that God is all-powerful? That His plan, as long as we are faithful, comes more and more perfectly into fruition? And that He can work despite, well, despite our short-sightedness, despite our sin, despite our unwillingness to work and to be involved in the mission? That's not an excuse. But that's faith. That's not an excuse of why we don't jump into the, to the arena. Why we don't actually try and build the kingdom as much as we possibly can. But it's faith to know that Jesus Christ, because of His passion, death, and resurrection, has won. And that God made that promise. And He is who He says He is. But in the same way, that same God is, doesn't work doesn't work separate from us. He doesn't work apart from us. He doesn't work despite us. He works with and through us because we belong to Him. We belong to Him as a child to a father. Today, when we come to this Mass, we come to reaffirm how much we belong to Him. We come to reaffirm the impact and power that He has in this world. That on this altar, He can make bread into, bread into His body and wine into His blood through a broken vessel like me. And it's because God is who He says He is. And He does that because He wants nothing more to re, than to reaffirm that we belong to Him and that He's willing to come to us. So today, may we reaffirm our faith. Reaffirm our love for God. Reaffirm our hope that carried somebody like a Father Minikowski through the through hell of Dachau to the bayou of Raceland. That we reaffirm that God is who He says He is. And that we belong to Him.